Rodotosker Press presents Tales of the Chai Makani Trio by Kate McLeod, performed by Oliver Vincent. Episode 4 Prisoners and Rebels. Elliot could see that Alexstra was running out of time. He knew that she knew it too, although none of them said a word as they trudged through the ever darkening jungle. But with every minute that ticked by, her steps slowed further. Wait! Elektra said at last, sitting against a wet mossy boulder to dig through one of her belt pouches. It won't help, Kiani said again as Elektra took out a chrome capsule half the size of her thumb and squinted at some writing engraved on its side. It can't hurt, Elliot said. Elektra flipped open one end of the capsule and ran it along both sides of the welt on her leg. Elliot winced at the thought of touching such a foul purplish-black injury. How did that not hurt? But Alexstra didn't even flinch. What does that do? He asked, as she put it back in her pouch, but didn't stir from the boulder. Slow the infection, she said. Or so I hope. It's venom, and that won't help, Kiani said. We need to get to the camp. Uh, the Elder can help you. How much further is it? Elliot asked. Not far, Kiani said, but she was frowning at Alexstra, still leaning against the boulder with her eyes closed. Even in the faint light that reached them from the setting sun, through the thick foliage, Elektra's face was looking grayish-white. Elliot could guess what Kiani wasn't saying. Elektra might not make it even that far. Lean on me when you walk, Elliot said, stepping closer to offer his arm. Elektra nodded without opening her eyes. She took out her tanjo and extended both ends until she was holding a bow staff a little taller than she was. The shimmering hologram quality to the newly formed ends glowed faintly, but not enough to be seen from a distance. She wouldn't draw attention from anyone that wasn't on top of them already. Okay, she said, gripping her staff in one hand, then wrapping the other arm around Elliot's shoulders. He slipped his arm around her and helped her stand up. She was heavier than she looked, a lot heavier. Did she have metal bones or something? Kiani led the way again glancing back often to be sure they were keeping up with her. Elektra was still weakening, putting more and more of her weight on Elliot's shoulders. It was tiring work, made no easier by the thick undergrowth hiding any number of twisted roots or jutting rocks that seemed to lunge at Elliot's toes. I think I might need to take a break, he said. Sorry. No need, Kiani said, coming back to put an arm around Elektra from the other side. We're here. With some of the weight off his shoulders, Elliot found the energy to look up and around. At first he thought they were still in the impenetrable heart of the jungle, but then he saw something too boxy to be part of a tree. A tower, just large enough for one or two people to stand atop it. It was metal, with only a narrow gap visible between the roof and the sides. The sides, which had notches set in them as if for guns, allowing someone up there to fire from a position of cover. A guard tower, only... Where were the guards? This way, Kiani said, guiding Elektra and by extension Elliot between two of those unmanned towers into a clearing. No trees here and little undergrowth. It was easier to see, with the light from the stars and from the Commonwealth ships hovering above unfettered by foliage. There were long metallic huts reflecting the silvery light. They were all the same and had a prefabricated look to them like they could be disassembled, moved, and reassembled in a hurry if needed. He supposed the guard towers could, too. There still wasn't any sign of people, 
The cabins were windowless, the doors closed. No light or sound came out of any of them. So were they empty, or just thicker walled than they appeared? They emerged from between two huts into a large circular open space, and Elliot could see all the huts stood in the circle, the only doors facing the inside of the circle. There was some sort of round structure in the center of everything, but he couldn't make out enough details to guess at its purpose. Kiani guided them along the curving row of huts, then stopped at a door that was identical to all the others so far as Elliot could tell. Keeping an arm around the barely conscious Alextra, she leaned forward and knocked softly on the door. Then she looked all around in a slow, methodical sweep of their surroundings. "'Are we in danger here?' Elliot asked in a whisper. "'No more than we've been since we met,' she said. That wasn't a reassuring response. The door opened. The warm-toned light wasn't particularly bright, but to their eyes, acclimated to the dark, it was blinding. Elliot could see the silhouette of a figure in the doorway, but couldn't even tell if it was a man or a woman. "'Kiani?' the figure said. A man's voice, and not a young one. "'Jake,' Kiani said. "'I'll understand if you say no, but—' "'Come in, quickly,' Jake said, reaching out to help Elliot and Kiani get Alextra up the step and over the threshold. The moment they were inside that warm golden light, Alextra's knees buckled. Kiani and Elliot struggled to keep her up off the floor. Jake closed the door behind them, then bustled past them. He was dressed in roughly woven clothing, much like Kiani's, worn and faded, but not in tatters like hers. His body was all hard-corded muscle, although if Elliot had to guess, he didn't think Jake ever ate enough to feel full. His skin was sun-damaged, especially his scalp, only sparsely covered by silvery gray hairs that hovered around his head like a frizzy halo. Despite the step up, the floor inside was still hard-packed dirt. The interior of the hut appeared to be all one room, the very back separated from the rest by a rough approximation of a curtain. Jake pulled it back to reveal the bed of sorts, really just a raised rectangle of packed earth covered with blankets. Lay her down here, Jake said as he turned away from the alcove to dig through a wooden cabinet. What happened to her? The spider tree caught around her leg, Kiani said. I tried to warn her, but we were fleeing from Commonwealth soldiers at the time. Jake turned around to give Kiani a hard look, but then went back to his searching without saying a word. Kiani and Elliot helped Alextra over to the bed, her feet more dragging over the dirt than actually walking. She collapsed onto it and curled into a tight ball, like a panicked insect. Elliot took the tanjo out of her nerveless fingers. He didn't know how to turn off the glowing solid hologram ends to return it to its short club configuration. There weren't any buttons or even any markings in the smooth wood. In the end, he just leaned it into the corner of the room, still in its bow staff form. The spider tree is quite some way from here, he said as he brought the small earthen vessel to the bedside. You're lucky you made it here in time. She has Commonwealth medicine, Kiani said. I think that might have kept her moving. Wouldn't do a thing against the venom, Jake said with a click of his tongue, but better than nothing. Help me straighten her out so I can put this poultice on the wound. We need new clothes as well, Kiani said, indicating with a nod of her head to Elliot that he should help hold Alexa's legs straight as Jake dipped his fingers in the jar. Gweeps? Jake guessed as he smeared a foul-smelling greenish-brown paste over the necrotized flesh of Alexa's leg. I don't think we were marked, Kiani said, but just to be on the safe side. You know where the stores are, Jake said. Use the common fire, not any of the hut fires. Of course, 
Kiani said. We should probably get her clothes too before we go. No, she'll be fine, Jake said. He made one last pass to make sure the wound was completely covered, then wiped his fingers clean on Electra's pants leg. This is Commonwealth tech she's wearing. Self-cleaning, self-repairing. It didn't repair that, Kiani said, pointing at the tear in the leg. No, she would have told it not to, Jake said. She wanted to keep an eye on the wound. It'll repair now? Elliot asked. Or when she wakes, depending on what she told it to do, Jake said. Keeping it open to the air would be better. If it repairs, it'll just tear it again. But the gweeps... Kiani started to say. It would have gotten rid of any of that. Trust me, Jake said. You two, on the other hand. Better get changed now. Right, Kiani said, then tugged at Elliot's sleeve. Follow me. She opened the door but swept her gaze over the circle of dark huts before stepping outside. Elliot followed her several huts down. Kiani opened the door without knocking and the interior was dark. Wait here, she said before disappearing inside. Elliot waited just outside the door. He felt like he was being watched but saw no sign of anyone anywhere around him. He was just being paranoid, he hoped. Here, Kiani said, thrusting a pile of clothing at him as she stepped outside. Get changed, then come over to the fire so we can burn what you're wearing now. What fire? He asked. You'll see, she said, then left him to jog over to the circular structure in the center of the camp. Elliot shook out the pile of clothing, finding a pair of pants and sleeveless tunic, as well as a short cloak and a pair of soft cloth boots. He liked his own clothes better, but the memory of that swarm of gweeps attacking the Commonwealth Enforcers was still vivid in his mind. The screams from the Enforcers had echoed through the canyon. He could only imagine the pain. He quickly changed, putting his few possessions that had been in his pants pockets into the large pocket on the front of the tunic, as the pants had none. The boots were comfortable enough on the ground between the huts and the center of the circle, ground worn smooth by many feet. So much constant traffic that even the tenacious jungle undergrowth couldn't grow here. He doubted they would be so comfortable on the rockier ground they had crossed since leaving the city. As he approached the center, he saw a sudden roar of flames coming to life. So some sort of gas-filled thing, not a natural fire, kindled from small bits and slowly built up with ever larger pieces of wood. When he was closer, he could see Kiani. Her face lit up reddish-orange by the flames. She was wearing almost the same thing she had been wearing when he met her, but this time less tattered. He handed her his clothing, and she tossed them into the fire where the last of her things were curling to ash. Do we have to burn my boots? Elliot asked, reluctant to hand them over. Boots most of all, Kiani said. They're more likely to have been splashed than anything. Are they safe to burn? he asked. <laughs> safe? Kiani said, rolling her eyes. She pulled the boots out of his grip and threw them into the fire. The chemical smell of burning plaza leather was eye-wateringly unpleasant, and they both took several steps back and then upwind from the fire. Am I going to be mistaken for, uh... Elliot searched for a word that he wasn't going to regret saying out loud. He was pretty sure they were in a prisoner camp, but then again, a lot of things didn't make sense like the lack of guards in the towers, and the apparent lack of prisoners. A native of this village? He ended instead. No, Kiani said, coming back around the fire, now that the smell was dissipating. 
to make sure all of the clothing had been consumed. Are you sure? Very, she said, then kicked something Elliot couldn't see, and the flames disappeared as suddenly as they had appeared. The darkness of the night around them closed in, and even the stars were too faint for Elliot's eyes now. All he could see were the lights from the Commonwealth ships, the fainter but faster moving lights from the shuttles flying between them. It wasn't comforting. Come on, Kiani said, leading the way back to Jake's hut. She opened the door without knocking this time, pulling Elliot inside to quickly shut the door behind them. How is she? she asked. Better, Jake said. But she'll need a day at least before you can move on. Can you give that to us? Kiani asked. Is there another choice? Jake asked. This will bring trouble, but I guess you're used to that. I didn't bring more trouble than we already had, Kiani said. You've been gone a while, he said. I'm guessing you ran out of food. A week ago, Kiani said. You didn't steal so much as that, Jake said. I found other things to eat, she said. For a while? The jungle can keep you alive as readily as it can kill you. Jake said. So you've always told me, she said. I suppose I could have lived out there forever. Alone, I mean. I was doing okay, but instead I decided to climb the mountain, see the city. And immediately found trouble, Jake said. Kiani didn't bother to contradict him. What happened here? She asked. It's been weeks. Why aren't there guards back in the towers? No one knows, Jake said. We buried the others out where no one would ever find them and came up with a story of sorts. That they'd all just left one day and never came back. But no one else has ever come to take their place. They must have been missed by now. If the guards are gone, why are you still here? Elliot asked. Jake looked at him, as if noticing him for the first time. He's from the city, Kiani said. His name's Elliot, and that's Alextra over there. I don't think she's from the city, but that's where we all met. No, not the city, Jake said as if to himself, then looked up at Elliot. You've been traveling through the jungle, yes? Can you make a guess why I don't leave my warm, safe hut? You taught me how to live out there, Kiani said. I can do it. Doesn't mean I want to. Not at my age, he said. The Commonwealth never replaced the guards, but that doesn't mean the rest of us are free now. Are you hungry? Very. Kiani said. But what do you mean about the guards? Good. I added more vegetables to the soup when you were out burning your clothes, so I have enough to share. Jake said, leaning over the fire in the center of the hut and stirring at something in the cauldron, sitting off-center over the flames. Another minute or two, I think. The guards? Kiani said again. Well, your friends are in charge now, Jake said. I don't know what they're planning, but they won't let any of us leave the camp. We're still prisoners, but this time it's not our colonizing masters keeping us here. It's our own kids and grandkids. But what happened? Kiani asked. I don't have the answers you're looking for, Jake said. You'd have to ask your friends. They're not my friends, Kiani said. Not anymore. Friends or not, they probably already know you're here, Jake said. They'll come looking for you. I can watch your friend until she's well. There's no reason for you to stay. No reason to run, either, Kiani said. Is that soup ready? Elliot woke up to a rush of disorientation. 
When was the last time he'd slept under a roof? With no windows and no natural light, he had no idea how long he'd slept. He was lying on a blanket near the cook fire, which was still softly glowing, although the flames had died down. There was another blanket folded neatly, but no sign of Kiani. She left, Jake said, and Elliot jumped at the sudden break in the silence. He found Jake sitting in a chair, pulled close to the bed where Alexstra still slept. Jake didn't look like he slept at all. Kiani left? Elliot asked, still disoriented. Jake didn't answer, possibly because the answer was quite apparent. How's Alexstra? I need to give her a second dose of poultice, but a diluted one, Jake said. Take that pot by the door and fetch me some water. From where? Elliot asked as he pulled on his cloth boots. The well in the center of the camp, Jake said. Quickly now. Elliot grabbed the pot and opened the door to find it was still early morning, the sun rising but still behind the mountains to the east. Despite the early hour, there were other people about, dressed much like he was, but none of them were his age. Instead, they looked like Jake, possibly middle-aged, or possibly far older. Impossible to guess behind the mask of sun damaged and the cord muscles of daily hard labor. In the brighter dawn light, he could make out more details of the circular structure in the center of the camp. The outer rim was an earthen wall of about knee height, cracked in places and showing repairs of the mud work and others. On the inside, it was neatly bisected in two. One side was filled with the ashy remains of what he knew were his and Kiani's clothes, fallen through the grill. Kiani had tossed them on the night before. The other side was filled with water. There was a metal covering over the water, but it had been opened on the one side so that villagers could fill their pots there. Good morning, he said to the few that were waiting in line at the well but none of them answered or even looked at him. So, not friendly, but not calling him out as an outsider either. They were all wearing sleeveless tunics like his. But unlike him, they also had something on their forearms. Screens like computer screens, only they appeared to be embedded in their flesh. Elliot looked around as discreetly as he could until he was sure. Everyone had them. Then he remembered that Kiani always wore long sleeves. Was she hiding a screen on her own arm? The woman in front of him stepped up to the well and dipped her pot into the water. As she waited it for it to fill, she held her arm still for long enough for Elliot to get a good look. It was a readout of numbers in five columns, the far right column changing by the second. The second. It was time. The readout was marking time in seconds, then minutes, then hours, then days, then years. He looked again at the seconds. They were ticking by backwards, and as he watched it reach zero, and the minute column went down by one. What did that mean? No use asking. People who didn't respond to a good morning weren't going to be open to personal questions. But Jake might. Elliot filled his own pot, then carried it carefully back to the hut. For one terrifying moment, he wasn't sure which hut he had come from, but then he saw one with the door standing open and got a glimpse of Kiani sitting inside so she'd come back from wherever she had gone. He hurried his steps until he was ducking inside. Kiani was there, but she wasn't alone. She had brought six people in with her. They all sat around the fire, either in chairs or on the floor, but no one was speaking. 
Jake was waving at Elliot to bring the water to the back of the room, so he scurried past the others, none of whom looked up. What's going on? Elliot asked Jake in a whisper as he handed over the pot. Not our business, Jake said, pouring a bit into the poultice jar and giving it a stir with his fingers. He pulled his fingers out, watching the paste drip down with a frown, then added more water and stirred again. Elliot leaned against the back wall, close enough to watch over Alextra, but also within easy reach of her tanjo. Kiani was the only one in the hut with long sleeves. Elliot saw a screen in Jake's arm, numbers counting down to something Elliot could not even guess at. In the darkness of the night before, he had missed seeing it entirely. The teens gathered around Kiani also had screens in their arms, but they were all blank. No numbers ticking down, just a black screen that flexed and bent when they moved their arms to reach for the bottle they were passing around to take slugs from. The bottle was passed to Kiani, and Elliot watched how her sleeve moved as she reached out to take it. There was something in her sleeve on the inside that kept it from sliding up her arm, like it was attached to something. Her cloak fell back over her shoulder as she raised the bottle to drink, and Elliot could see the coarse stitching that attached it to what was meant to be a sleeveless tunic like the others. She had made her own sleeves to cover that screen. He could see why she had done it before climbing up to the city. There were people there. Not Elliot personally, but others, who would know such a thing would mean an escaped prisoner. But why make more sleeves when at a camp where everyone knew she had a screen? Where everyone else was a prisoner? And when had she done it? He hadn't looked closely enough at her in the light from the fire the night before, but she had been wearing a cloak like she was now. It wouldn't have been hard to keep her arms out of sight until she could sew up the sleeves while Elliot slept. But why? Talk, one of the teens said to Kiani as he took the bottle from her hands. You've brought strangers here. Why? We're just passing through, Kiani said. As soon as that one can walk, we're out of here. You'll never see me again. You said that last time, one of the girls said. You abandoned us. It looks like you did just fine without me, Hurley, Kiani said. The guards are gone, and I guess you're in charge now. No thanks to you, one of the boys said. And it's not just here. We took the guards' weapons, and we've been freeing other camps. Every camp we get more weapons, and the next one is easier. And the Commonwealth is just letting this happen? Kiani asked. So far, Hurley said. Why? Kiani asked. Who cares? The boy scoffed. They must be planning something, Kiani said. They don't need to keep us contained in camps when they know the jungle can kill us, and they'll never let us escape the jungle. You're not in charge here, Kiani, the boy said. Not anymore. You walked away from all that. I was never the one in charge, Arian, Kiani said. Where's Jax? The six of them exchanged glances, Arian shaking his head at whenever they were silently communicating to him. Then he turned back to Kiani. He'll be free soon, then he'll be here, and I don't think your friend back there will be up and about before then. You're in trouble. Right now? From the six of you? She asked. No, Hurley said, as much as the others as to Kiani. That's for Jax to decide when he gets here. We're just going to make sure you're still here when he gets here. Then the six of them filed out the door. Jake was still smearing the foul paste over Alextra's leg, acting as if nothing at all had just happened a couple of meters away from him. Elliot pushed off from the wall to stand by Kiani. What was all that about? he asked. Nothing. She said, so quickly he knew it was an automatic response. 
He grabbed her arm and pulled at her sleeve. Hey! She protested but didn't fight him. Something tied on the inside snapped free and he pulled back the cloth to expose her screen. Unlike the other teens, her screen had numbers counting down on it. What is this? What does it mean? He asked. It's my sentence, Kiani said, holding her arm out straight so he could take a good look at it. The year column read 578. What did you do? He asked, horrified. I was born, she said calmly, then extricated her arm so she could roll her sleeve back down and retie the cuff. Although it looks like they added some years on account of the rebellion I wasn't even a part of. They might not be replacing the guards, but they aren't as clueless as those guys seem to think they are. The Commonwealth is going to crush them all. I don't understand any of this, Elliot said. Kiani took a deep breath, as if collecting her thoughts. I was born here. My parents were prisoners, but they died without completing their sentences. Whatever time they had left when they died, it's now mine, plus a couple hundred years for the rebellion. But you never did anything wrong? Elliot asked. None of us kids did. At least, not initially. We just inherited our parents' and grandparents' time, she said. Of course we've done some wrong since then. Some of that time is on us for stealing food and shirking work duties, but since most of us have centuries to go, that doesn't really seem to matter. How can that be legal? Elliot asked, but Kiani just shrugged. Ask the Commonwealth. They heard a moan from the back of the room and rushed to the bedside to see Alextra's eyes start to flutter open. Her skin was still pale, but the grayish tinge was gone. How are you feeling? Elliot asked as she peered up at them. Not great, she said, her voice still raspy. But better. One more diluted dose after midday and all the venom should be drawn out, Jake said. Your own medicines will take it from there. Alextra patted her sides and found her belt and pouches gone. She tried to sit up, but Jake and Kiani pushed her back down. Easy. We just took them off so you could sleep more comfortably. All your things are right here, unharmed. But you pawed through them, Alextra said, summoning an impressively imperious tone despite her obvious weakness and exhaustion. A little, Jake confessed. Before I was a prisoner, I was a doctor in the Commonwealth. I was just curious about what you had. I didn't take any of it. I recognized very little of what you're carrying. I guess things have changed while I was away. Perhaps not as much as you think, Elextra said, sinking back into the blankets. Not for most people, anyway. No, Jake said. I recognized your sigil. You're a long way from home. But Elextra didn't answer. Sleep had already taken her. Kiani exchanged a long look with Jake, then dragged one of the chairs out of the open door to sit just outside. Elliot trailed after her. Are they coming back? Your friends? Elliot asked. Not my friends, Kiani said. And no, not without Jax, anyway. Who's Jax? Elliot asked. Trouble, she said. Jax is trouble, but Jax is also in maximum security. That won't be one of the camps those kids have taken over. No way. But they said he'd be here, Elliot said. I'll believe it when I see it, Keone said. No. We'll be gone before anything goes down here. Alexa will be able to walk in the morning. Jake said, and Jake is never wrong. But where will we go? Elliot asked. Keone barked out a humorless laugh. That's the real question, isn't it? You don't know anything outside of the city walls, and I've barely been out of this camp my whole life. Alextra clearly isn't from here. 
I don't know where we go next, but we can't stay here. So, for now we just wait? He said. We just wait, she agreed. Elliot went back inside to find another chair, then joined Kiani in what he knew was really guarding the door. The day was humid and hot, especially sitting in the sun as they were. Elliot found himself dozing through the afternoon. He occasionally woke to the soft murmur of voices, but it was always one of the older members of the prison camp speaking quietly to Kiani, squeezing her shoulder as if lending her some comfort before moving on. Everyone knows you, he said after one couple left at sunset. Everyone knew my parents, she said. They were well-liked. They were good people. Just the day before, Elliot would have thought that was a strange thing to say about people in prison camp, meant for those deemed dangerous and beyond redemption. But today? Today he was pretty sure no one had actually earned that label. Elliot went inside to find Jake still sitting by the bed, Alexstra still sleeping. Her color is better, isn't it? He asked as he stood over her. It is, Jake agreed. Her body just needed a bit of what my poultice could provide to purge itself of the venom. She'll be quite recovered in the morning. But shouldn't she be more awake if that's true? Elliot asked. She's healing, Jake insisted. Trust the process. Elliot didn't want to argue with someone who appeared to be acquainted with both modern medicine and whatever juggle equivalent he was currently working with, but he would feel better if Electra were less comatose. Kiani! Someone shouted out in the center of the camp. Through the open door, Elliot saw Kiani get up from the chair. She turned to lean inside the hut. Stay in here with Electra, she said to Elliot. Before he could object, she was gone. Best stay out of it, Jake said. Kiani can handle herself. He didn't know what he could do to help, unarmed as he was, but he went to the doorway all the same. He wouldn't interfere, but he wanted to know what was happening. He saw the six teens from before standing around the circular structure at the center of the camp, half of it now a roaring bonfire. But they had another with them now. He was tall and thin, and his clothes were like everyone else's, if a bit worse for wear. His olive-colored skin had a sallow tone to it, as if he hadn't been out in the sunlight for quite some time. His dark hair stood high on top of his head, in twisted knotted locks in bad need of a trim, or a cut, or both. Jax! Kiani said as she approached the group. Elliot knew she had the knives with her that she had stolen from the tavern, but they were nowhere in sight now. She held her hands out at her sides, palms facing slightly forward so that Jax and the others would also see she was unarmed. Jax raised an arm to point a finger at her in a slow, deliberate gesture, meant to be observed from anywhere in the camp. You betrayed us, Kiani. I only betrayed you, Kiani said. No, Jax said, then louder. No, this isn't personal. This isn't about what happened between you and me. This is about the cause. You betrayed the cause. It was never my cause, Jax, she said. I admit... There was a moment where I would have done anything for you, but then I actually thought about what it was you wanted me to do, and I betrayed you. That was totally personal. I rejected you. This seemed like a very strange defense to Elliot. How could hurting his feelings help her case at all? And she was hurting him. Elliot could see it in the way his posture crumpled at her words, the way he wouldn't meet her eyes, although Kiani was standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with him now, looking straight up into his face. No, Jack said again, his voice thick with emotion. 
Then he took a step back, straightening his spine and running his hands over his chaos of hair. He looked at the others gathered around him, making contact with Hurley, the longest. She gave him a little nod, as if encouraging him to continue. A vote, he said, raising a fist in the air. Who here declares that Kiani has betrayed our cause? No personal feelings here. This isn't about me. It's about the rebellion. Who says guilty? All six thrust their fists in the air with the cries of guilty. And what shall the sentence be? Jax asked. The others didn't know how to answer this. They looked at each other and shifted their weight from foot to foot uncomfortably. But Hurley spoke clearly, her voice ringing through the center of the camp. Death. Death. The other five chorused, pumping their fists again. Jake? Elliot whispered into the hut. Don't worry, boy, Jake said. Kiani can handle herself. And indeed, as if by magic, both of those knives were now in Kiani's hands, glowing in the light from the burning bonfire. She dropped into a low crouch, then leaned forward to lunge at Jax. But she froze. It took a moment for Elliot to realize why. Jax had a needle gun leveled at her. He had taken enough steps back from her that she could never get to him with her knives before he could fire. So she threw them and ran. Jax twisted his body to dodge one, but the other slices across his bicep, leaving a long, bloody gash. Get her! Jax yelled as he clamped a hand to the spurting wound. Hurley tore a strip from the end of her tunic to tie over his arm while the other five ran after Kiani. She made it halfway to Jake's hut before they tackled her to the ground, knocking the wind out of her. I have to help her! Elliot hissed at Jake. You must have a weapon! In a prison camp? Jake said. That's not stopping them from having needle guns! Elliot said. He looked back over his shoulder to see Kiani on her knees by the bonfire, still fighting to catch her breath. Hurley put the last knot in the bandage, and Jax extended his arm to aim the needle gun at Kiani's bowed head. Then Elliot was being pushed aside. At first he thought Jake was going out there to put an end to this craziness, but Jake was still standing by the bed, the now empty bed. Elliot ran out the door to see Alextra crossing the circle in great browning strides, Tanjo in her hands. Both of the ends were still in bowstaff configuration, and when she landed behind Kiani, she spun it in her hands, striking Jax directly in the sternum with one end, then following up with a quick strike to his wrist. The needle gun flew from his hand to disappear in the darkness outside the range of the bonfire's light. Jax staggered back from the blow, but recovered quickly, moving forward to charge Alextra. She brought the tanjo back around. The end facing him was now a spear point, and he skidded to a quick halt when he felt that pricking at his neck just below his chin. You can't run, Alextra said to him. I have you. I don't even have to stab you at this point. Just a little swipe from this very sharp spear tip, and your blood will be watering this very dry ground. Try me. Jack stood very still, hands halfway in the air. The other six started to move forward, as if hoping to outflank Alextra but he raised his hands with more urgency. Stop! Don't do it! Just stop! They all stopped. Elliot could see Hurley looking around for the needle gun, but he was pretty sure she was just looking the wrong way. He crept in what he thought was the right direction, thankful at last for the soft clothes that made his steps nearly silent. Kiani? Jax pleaded. His voice sounded hoarse, 
although there was no way that spear was pressing down on his windpipe, not without killing him. Keani, come on, Hurley said. Elliot was near where he thought the needle gun was, although he couldn't see it in the darkness. He dropped to his knees to brush his hand over the packed dirt and crabby weeds. Why are you calling out to her? Alextra asked. I'm the one who's about to execute you, and in your case, I'm pretty sure crimes were committed. Don't, Kiani said. She sounded annoyed at herself for letting that word out, but then she got to her feet and put a hand on Alextra's forearm. He hasn't earned an execution. He was going to execute you. Did you earn that? Alextra asked. No, but that doesn't make this right, Kiani said. Alextra frowned darkly, and Elliot hoped he'd never in his life had to stand there while she looked at him like that. Then she changed the end of her tanjo back to a bow staff. She stepped back from Jack's and started to lower his hands in relief. But then the staff spun in her hands, and in a blink of an eye, he was flat on his back, in the dust, gasping for air, much as Kiani had been doing a moment before. But she didn't stop there. She sat down on his chest, knees on his elbows. Both ends of the tanjo were gone now, and it was back in its storage short club form. But Elliot doubted that mattered to Jack when she placed it across his throat and leaned just a bit of her weight down on it. Alextra! Kiani cried, but Alextra ignored her. How did you get here so quickly? She demanded as Jack's gasped and struggled beneath her. That's not an answer, she said after several seconds of this. You were in Max, right? How did you get here? How did you get out? Alextra was quite up on current events for someone who had looked to be in a coma. She must have heard everything everyone had said, even though she had never stirred. Maybe it had really been a healing thing. Then his hand brushed up against something. He brought it back to grass metal, the barrel of a needle gun. He picked it up carefully, got to his feet, and tucked it into his tunic pocket before walking closer to the fire. I was freed! Jax gasped. Alextra sat back ever so slightly so he could continue speaking more easily. The rebels! They freed me before I even got to the maximum security camp. They've been intercepting communications between the camps, jamming some and spoofing others. They knew who I was and wanted me with them. They took me back to their base. And then... Alextra asked. Then I got word that Kiani was back. I had to be here, to see her. To kill her? Alestra asked, raising an eyebrow. I wasn't going to, really, Jack said. Kiani scoffed loudly. Don't listen to anything he says. It's all lies, she said. What's more probable, Alextra asked, never taking her eyes off Jack, that he escaped to maximum security camp, or that the rebels busted him out? Then she chanced a glance up at Kiani. That's not rhetorical. I don't know a thing about any of this, but you do, and you know him. What do you think? Kiani looked at Jack assessingly. His eyes were clearly pleading with hers, but she was unmoved. At last she looked back to Alextra. The rebel thing. Only probably not how he's describing it. It's more likely they hit the prison transport for its own sake, not his. All right, Alextra said, then leaned in on the staff briefly, as if reminding Jax he was still under her control. Now answer me true. You know where the rebels are. You know where they're hiding, yes? Yes! He rasped. I just escaped from there, didn't I? And you can find it again? She asked. Yes, absolutely! He said, nodding as enthusiastically as he could with the tanjo pressed against his throat. Hurley, is it? Alextra asked. The girl nodded. 
Give Kiani her knives back. Both of them. Hurley turned to the others, who quickly retrieved the knives and gave them to her. She held them out on her open palms to present them to Kiani, who quickly tucked them back into her belt. Now listen carefully, Alextra said. You're going to take us there, and no funny business, agreed? Don't think for a minute that you and your friends will get the drop on me, because you won't. I truly hope you believe me. Hey, if you want to see the rebels, what's that to me? Jack said. I'll take you to them, and good riddance to the lot of you. Alextra gave a tight nod, then swooped back up to her feet with her tanjo tucked away in one balletic move that Elliot doubted he could ever emulate. We'll leave at dawn, she told the others, then waved for Kiani and Elliot to walk with her back to Jake's hut. We can't trust Jax, Kiani said. We don't, do we? Alextra said. He's going to insist he needs those others with us tomorrow, but that's fine. They're no match for my tanjo or your knives, or for the needle gun Elliot has tucked in his tunic pocket. Kiani looked at Elliot in surprised, then saw the bulge in his pocket. Nice! She said. You ever fired one? Uh, no, he said. Kind of hoping I don't have to. You might have to threaten with it a little, Alextra said. First opportunity, I'll show you how it works. Can't you show me now? Elliot asked. But the moment they were inside the hut, he found himself once more holding a swooning Alextra in his arms. Perhaps a bit too soon for all that fuss, Jake said as he came over to help bring Alextra back to the bed. Perhaps... Alextra agreed as she laid back down. I'll be fine in the morning, she said to Kiani and Elliot. But why trust him at all? Kiani said. I mean, why are we going to the hidden rebel base in the first place? Because Colton Ward is doubtlessly still after us. Do you have a better place to hide from the Commonwealth than in a hidden rebel base? Alextra asked. Then she closed her eyes and went still again. Elliot felt like continuing the discussion since clearly she could still hear them but there wasn't much point if she couldn't respond. He didn't know what was more worrisome. The fact that the rebel base was something the Commonwealth would gleefully bomb to a glassy crater the moment they located it, possibly with the three of them still inside. Or the word that Jax had used about leaving that place. The word Alextra and Kiani hadn't seemed to have caught. Escaped. This has been Tales of the Chimacani Trio by Kate McLeod. Performed by Oliver Vincent, Tales of the Chimacani Trio is a Rototosker Press production.